Welcome to the Mystic's Path podcast. Learn about living a mystical life, shamanic practices for healing and earth healing, crystals, tarot, and other mystical practices. I am your host, Katie McBrien. Welcome to the Mystics Path podcast. In this episode, we are going to be talking about what is shamanism. was from an album called Icaro's Sacred Medicine Songs of the Jungle. And that is available for download and purchase on Linda L. Fitch's website. So that's L-I-N-D-A-L-F-I-T-C-H.com under products. It's called Sacred Medicine Songs of the Jungle. And I'm going to scroll down and just see. It's actually $21.95 and it has several tracks. It has nine tracks in it and I'm just going to pull it back up because I X out of it. Let's see here. Welcome to Mother Nature. Mother Nature's Vital Life Force. Preparing the body for healing, which is what we were just listening to. Healing sickness. Relaxation. Letting go. Prosperity, A Woman's Song, My Little Garden, and The Universe is Love. So we can talk a little bit about Icarus later in this podcast. So in this podcast, we are going to talk about what is shamanism, why it is relevant today. We're going to briefly, very briefly, go over different types of shamanism, how to become a shaman. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about the shamanic journey. So what is shamanism? Shamanism is the world's oldest spiritual practice. There are shamanic practices on every continent, in every culture, every area. Uh, there is some kind of shamanic practice. So the core belief system of shamanism is that everything has an animating spirit. That's called animism. So rocks, trees, mountains, the weather, the water, everything around us, the sun, the moon has an animating spirit. It has some sort of spirit that a shaman can go to petition to um, for insight and healing. Also, animals have an animating spirit as well. So Michael Harner, he's an author. He went around the globe and talked to different shamans and he coined something called core shamanism. So within every culture in the world, there are similar belief systems. And it doesn't matter if this is a shaman from Mongolia or a shaman from the jungle in perhaps Peru or somewhere in South America. They, even though they may have never met, they may have never had any kind of ties within the history of mankind, they have 
similar spiritual practices in their shamanic beliefs. And that is called core shamanism. And you can learn about core shamanism by doing research on Michael Harner. And core shamanism is something that is taught and easily learned. Um, there's lots of teachers who teach core shamanism scattered around the entire globe. So core shamanism is something that you can do some research on. In fact, I highly recommend it. It is how I started off on my shamanic practice. So shamanism believes in animism. Everything has a helping spirit. And within that, um, you can go to those helping spirits. We talked a lot about that in our previous episode, episode one, which talked about spirit guides. So the belief of totem animals, uh, animals that can help provide guidance and energy and power and healing, that is a helping spirit. But also there's helping spirits within trees, uh, the land that we live on, the moon, the sun, the stars, etc. That is a key belief system of shamanism that we can go to those helping spirits and we can petition them, we can ask them for guidance and healing and power. So let's talk about why shamanism is relevant today. I think the biggest reason why shamanism is relevant today because it gives us a connection to the earth, to the cosmos. The uh, Caro tribe in Peru call that Pachamama. Now, there's a lot of confusion about Pachamama and what Pachamama is, especially scattered around the internet. Pachamama does not just mean our Earth, the planet that we uh, live on. It is the entire cosmos. It is everything all around us. Their word for the Earth is Mama Alpa. Pachamama stands for also the Earth, but the cosmos as well. So I just want to put that out there because I think that that's really important that people understand that. And I think that connection to the planet is something that we as a whole are craving for because in all religions that I'm aware of, that connection to the planet doesn't really seem to be all that uh, important. Um, sure, whatever you believe in, God goddess, etc. They created the planet, but it's not something that we strive for or that system strives for connecting and taking care of and being a, a, a fighter for the planet. Another way that it is relevant today is holistic healing. So particularly in the West, we are interested in healing the mind and body. So we have uh, doctors for our minds, we have psychiatrists and psychologists and mental institutions and we have hospitals uh, that heal our body and doctors that we can go to for our body, but we don't have a doctor for our soul. And in, I believe, no matter what, however you look at it, our soul plays a big part in our ability to heal our body. So let's give an example. Let's just say someone has been given a diagnosis that's not very good. Perhaps they've been diagnosed with cancer and they have the, the ability to get healing for, you know, treatment for their cancer. But if they believe in their soul 
that no matter what, they're not going to get healed. They're not going to get healed. No matter how much chemo or operations or whatever else the treatment may be for their symptoms, they won't get healed because their belief system, their spirit doesn't believe that they're going to get healed. So our mind and our body and our soul, the trifecta, really is very important to finding healing on a holistic level. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I believe that all three are needed in order to find true healing. And it doesn't just have to be healing from a physical ailment. So let's just say cancer. Um, it could also be healing from trauma. It could be healing um, from a belief system. We have to go through all of those three, mind, body, and soul or spirit. So shamanism works on healing the soul, which therefore impacts the healing of the mind and the body. Really, a disease starts on a soul level and then creates and manifests on a physical level or a mental level, then becoming a physical level. So shamanism can help bring that healing to the soul, which then impacts the mind and the body. Another way that it is relevant today is it can put us in direct connection with the creator. A lot of the religions that are out in, you know, practice right now in the world you don't have direct connection with the creator. You go through a middle person, usually a priest, a rabbi, a pastor. They are the ones who talk to God, petition God on your behalf. But if you practice shamanism, you can go and you can have a direct cre uh, connection with the creator spirit. However you view that God, goddess, the divine you can have that direct connection with the creator. And now I am going to go on a brief aside. It is different than being in connection with helping spirits. The spirits are not the creator. The spirits can have connections with the creator and, and talk to the creator uh, for you, but that is not the same thing. I know we talked a lot in the last episode about going to our spirit guides for different things. And certainly you can go to angels and ascended masters and divine beings, but within shamanism, you can have that direct connection with the creator. You don't need a middleman. You don't need to go to a priest or a rabbi. You can go directly from your house or within nature to have that connection, that relationship with the creator spirit. And I think that's really relevant today because I think a lot of people are suffering from connection with however they view the creator, that disconnection between us and the planet. We live in a society where we wake up in our temperature-controlled houses with electricity. We run out to our cars, jump in our cars, drive to work, run into our office buildings or our jobs. We don't spend time out in nature and we don't see the impact that we as a planet are having on the earth. And the earth is suffering. However you want to look at that, you can look at it as, as global warming, uh, pollution, 
uh, trash uh, in our oceans, killing our, our, our animals, different species are going extinct at a rapid rate. Uh, even now with this uh, coronavirus that is impacting every single area in the entire world, um, you can look at that as a, an imbalance between our connection with the earth and our creator. So we're briefly, very, very briefly going to talk about the different types of shamanism. And this is not an inclusive list by any means. Every single culture in the world has some kind of shamanic practice. And obviously many people are aware of Native American shamanism. So that's the shamanistic practices of tribes within the America. And there's different tribes within America that have similar beliefs, although their practices might be slightly different. And in order to learn those things, obviously you would need to go to a, uh, a teacher that's been backed by those tribes. And it's very difficult to actually learn real true Native American practices. They rightfully so do not let outsiders within their their culture and I can't say that I blame them all the years of persecution and destruction and setting them up for failure I, I don't blame them I just read uh, I didn't read the article but I read the headline uh, the other day that uh, a governor of some state wants a Native American tribe to get rid of their coronavirus checkpoints that she's forcing them to do that and to me, that just is so similar to what they've been going through since <laughs> since the English came over from England um, and took over the country. You know, we stole it from them, and I think it's just it just shows how little we care about these about America's history because they really are America's history. So there are different types of. Uh, tribes that have different practices and if you're lucky enough to get into that you can learn about their belief systems there's certainly resources online that will give you a brief overview of these different spiritual practices of different Native American tribes but in order to actually train with Native American tribes it's very difficult to get in and I will say prove yourself worthy of learning their spiritual practices Another type of shamanism that I think of when I think of shamanism is Mongolian shamanism. So Mongolia is north of China and they have a, they still to this day have a very active shamanic belief system and practice. It is part of their culture. It's a part of their way of life. And I believe that it's quite easy to go to Mongolia and learn their shamanic practices. Um, you can definitely do a Google search and find out all about it. Go to YouTube and listen to Mongolian shamanists, shamans talk about their belief system and their spiritual practices. Another type of shamanism is Celtic shamanism, which, um, you know, as I was researching about different types of shamanism, I learned about Celtic shamanism just briefly through different articles that I read online. And you can certainly do research about that if you have Celtic roots and it calls out to you. 
there's definitely books and resources available for that. Another type of shamanism is jungle shamanism. That's a term that I coined just as I was creating my notes for this podcast. Um, definitely in South America, there are different um, shamanic tribes, different tribes that practice shamanism within the jungles. Uh, ayahuasca is usually practiced within these jungle tribes. Now, ayahuasca is a sacred plant. Um, I believe it's called the plant of death. Um, and basically what it is, is you, it's a mind altering substance. Um, and you take it and then you kind of go on a, um, a drug induced journey and you, things fall away. It's a master teacher plant. That's a way to uh, look at it. This episode is not about ayahuasca. We can certainly talk about that in another episode. But when I think of jungle shamanism, that's what I think of. Um, and in the beginning, the album that we were listening to, uh, when we talked about Icarus, those are very popular within jungle shamanism. And what an Icarus is, is a sacred medicine song that has to do with different plants within the jungle. And those songs are channeled by shamans to bring healing and energy towards their tribe and towards themselves and whoever they're helping. Now my favorite and my soul calls to Peru. And certainly there are jungles in Peru uh, where the Icaros are sung and where ayahuasca is taken but I am called to the Caro tribe. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call the Caro a shamanic system, although because they believe in animism, you can certainly call it shamanistic. Um, they are more mystical, and the thing I love about their belief system is, is that you don't need to go into a altered state of consciousness either by drumming or song or dance or medicines, you know, mind altering substances like ayahuasca or San Pedro, um, even marijuana, you can have that connection all day, every day, no matter what you're doing, cooking dinner, plowing a field, taking care of your livestock, they're in constant communication and thanks with their creator and their helping spirits. So let's just talk briefly about, um, I'm gonna just, for the sake of simplicity, say Peruvian shamanism. So the idea of Pachimama comes from the Caro tribe in Peru. And Pachimama, as I said earlier, is the entire cosmos. So that incorporates the earth, the stars, the um, space, the weather, everything. Pachimama, Pachimama. And Pachimama is the ultimate provider. She provides everything that we need in order to be abundant, happy human beings.
The other thing that makes uh, Peruvian shamanism so interesting to me is their belief in something called apus. So that's A-P-U, I believe is the correct way to spell that. And they are the mountain spirits that overlook the sacred valley of Cusco. And they can be petitioned and they uh, can be talked to for guidance, health, and all sorts of things. Um, and one of the things that uh, the Peruvian mystic shamans do that is so special is something called a despacho ceremony. And a despacho ceremony is a ceremony of thanks for everything that they have. And they also do something called a kintu, which is three cocoa leaves, and that would be the, from the plant uh, that makes the drug coke. Um, and they have, because it's such an integral part of their culture, they are allowed to have that leaf. Um, and they create this, this fan of three leaves, and they blow their prayers into this kintu, and they offer it as thanks to Pachimama, their apus, which are the mountain spirits, and um, the other helping spirits that are around them. And they put them in intricate, beautiful patterns along with other things. Uh, perhaps it's not just a despacho of thanks. Maybe it's a despacho for bringing love or bringing wealth or bringing abundance. And then there are several different ways that they handle that despacho. They can either bury it within uh, the earth, which is also known as Mama Alpa. Um, a lot of people just say Pachamama, which is okay, as long as we understand the distinction that Mama Alpha is the earth that we live on and Pachamama is the entire cosmos. Um, and what they do is they either bury it into the earth or they burn it and then they look at how that, or they could also put it in running water. And so in that sense, it's very mystical, it's very magical, it has that um, magic kind of flair to it. And it's either given as thanks or as a petition or as a way to get rid of something. So they also believe in something and it's two kinds of energies. And one is called hucha, which is heavy, dense energy. And that can be, um, anything that just doesn't suit us anymore, anything that's holding us down. And we give that to Pachamama because Pachamama and Mama Alpha, they love hucha. That is food for them. And then they give us Sami, S-A-M-I, which is positive, vital life force energy. So the Peruvian mystics believe that when we get sick, it's because we have an imbalance within our energy system. We have too much hucha and not enough sami. And our energy centers are not functioning fully as they should. So that's just a brief overview of the spiritual practice of uh, the Peruvian uh, people within Peru, specifically the Caro, um, which is where my, my soul just sings. So let's talk about how you can become a shaman. And this, I'm sure, will get some heat. <laughs>
I don't think that a lot of people believe in what I believe in. So to become a shaman, you have to get called on either by your community or by the helping spirits. And then you go on a, um, a period of apprenticeship and that would be by finding a teacher in our waking life or, and this is where not a lot of people will agree with me, by working closely with your helping spirits. Now, I'm going to talk briefly about why I believe this. I believe some people, either through the circumstances of their life or just how they're made up, are able to enter into the three realms of uh, the energetic world at will effortlessly in fact and they're able to have that communication with their helping spirits with their spirit guides with their teacher spirits it's it's second nature they don't even realize that they're doing it um and you can see people who can do that i mean there are people that you can watch that you can tell that are channeling information from their spirit guides and it's an effort effortless process and it's something that they may not even realize that they're doing. Um, it's very similar to people who are called at a young age to get into, you know, becoming a priest or becoming a spiritual leader. Uh, and it's not necessary that, you know, that someone tells them that this is what they should be doing. It's just something that they have always had a passion for. So to become a shaman, you need to call on the spirits. The call of the spirits really is the biggest thing. And usually within a tribal community, whoever the acting shaman is will see uh, a youth who has that potential. Perhaps their helping spirits will say, so-and-so has this gift, or they'll see the signs that so-and-so has that gift to become a shaman and then take them under their wing and train them to become a shaman in their tribal belief systems. But if you live in America and you are not part of a Native American tribe, if you are just an average everyday uh, John or Jane, we don't have that. We don't have tribal leaders that are shamans that look at us and say, you have the potential, you are being called to be a shaman. Um, and you might find yourself called to that spiritual path. And I did write a blog post about this. If you go to blog.katiemcbryan.com, uh, there's a blog called Natural Signs That You're a Shaman. I'm going to find the exact title. It'll take me one second. Signs That You Are a Natural Shaman or Mystic. And it's right on my website. If you go to katiemcbryan.com and you scroll down to read Katie's blog and then popular on the blog, the bottom is signs that you're a natural shaman or mystic because we may have the belief system that we are different from somebody else. Maybe we have that connection with our guides. Maybe we're able to, in our dreams, uh, bring back information for ourselves or those that we care about. Um, and those can be signs that we are a shaman. So, the cornerstone of shamanic practices is the shamanic journey, which we're going to talk about in depth in the next episode. Um, but just to touch on it briefly, a shamanic journey is when a shamanic practitioner goes into an altered state of consciousness 
usually through drumming, dancing, singing, uh, but it can also be through the use of drugs, mind-altering drugs such as San Pedro, ayahuasca, um, marijuana, etc. Um, they can, their spirit, their soul leaves their body and they can go traverse the world. Now, it is my belief that on a level we're all able to do this. We all do this at night. Um, we may not remember it, but when we dream, that is a form of shamanic journeying. I can't tell you how many dreams that I have had that have come true. Um, I'll give you an example. My uncle passed away in June of last year. And about a month after he passed away, just to, uh, an aside, we when he passed away, he had no other relatives except for us, and we took in his feral cat. And this feral cat lived upstairs in my son's room and really only liked my son. Uh, if I went up, the cat hissed at me, tried to attack me. I pretty much tried to stay away from the cat um, after several weeks of me trying to win it over. I realized that it was a losing battle. So this, this cat lived upstairs in my son's room. And when my uncle passed away, we took in this cat. The cat's name was Scruffy. And I had a dream about a month after he passed away where he had just moved into a new apartment. And I went up to him and I was like, I'm so glad that you're okay and that everything's all right. Um, I'm glad that you've got settled into your new place. Are you going to get Scruffy? And he turns to me and he looks at me and he goes, it's not Scruffy's time yet. And I woke up and I realized that the dream showed me that he got settled in his next state. Whatever that next state is in our soul's path, he got settled in. And when I went to him and I said, do you want Scruffy? He told me that Scruffy's time hadn't come yet to go to the next step, that Scruffy was still needed here on earth and that Scruffy wasn't yet ready to go. And I've had dreams like that my whole life. I've had dreams where I dream about people and then it comes true. I've had dreams um, of my twin flame where he'll come and he'll tell me things that come true. Um, just absolutely fascinating but the idea is is that some people have that ability to walk between the worlds and that's really what a shaman is they're walking between the worlds they they dance between the two worlds effortlessly at will and sometimes just naturally and they're able to bring back information and healing for not only themselves but the people who come to them for help so with that being said, how do you become a shaman? Now, I just want to touch briefly on the fact that a lot of cultures, being a shaman is not the most sought after position uh, within the culture. It is a grueling, lifelong commitment to their, their people to be the intermediary between the spirit world and the everyday waking world. Um, shamans don't have a day off. They can't just say, oh, I'm sorry, today is, uh, is my birthday. I'm not going to heal today. Or I'm not going to go and get out information for you. Or I'm not going to petition 
the spirits on your behalf. A shaman's job is full-time, 24-7, even when they're sleeping. They are constantly in communication with the other worlds that coincide with our world and within communication with helping spirits. It is beyond just, you know, okay, today I'm going to do a shamanic journey and I will do a healing for somebody. It's a 24-7 job, 365 days a year. And a lot of times a shaman wouldn't even call themselves a shaman because that's seen as bragging. And when we brag about something, many, many times it's taken away from us. So they wouldn't call themselves shamans. But in our modern society, especially within the Americas, titles are very, very important. And I've talked about this on many blog posts and many different ways that in order for people to find you, they need to know what you're about. And titles are important. Obviously, if you uh, have a problem with your heart, you aren't going to go to a doctor that treats your brain. You're going to go to a cardiologist. And that title is important. If you uh, need help spiritually, if you need the help of a shaman, you need somebody to call themselves a shaman. Otherwise, you won't be able to find them. Uh, we don't live in little communities where it's where we are in communication about the gifts that other people have. This isn't like we live in a remote area, you know, where we know that, okay, Joe is the baker, okay, you know, Sally is the seamstress, okay, you know, uh, Billy Bob does shoes, he makes shoes. I don't know, I'm just throwing out examples. Um, we, we don't have that. We don't have that connection. We don't have that close-knit community type that a lot of tribes have where we know that so-and-so can go into the spirit world and get that information. So I personally believe that calling yourself a shamanic practitioner is a, a way for people to find you if that is what they're seeking. Um, and certainly if you want to become a shamanic practitioner or learn shamanic practices, you need to find a shamanic teacher in order to learn that. You can't just, you know, go up to every single person you meet and say, are you a shamanic practitioner? You have to be able to search online, uh, go through local uh, directories and find uh, a healer that, um, teaches something that you're interested in learning. And I truly believe that shamanic practitioners are called to the path through their helping spirits. And this can come in any number of ways. This can come in through a dream. This can come in through a direct revelation while sitting in nature, even sitting in traffic. You can have a realization that you are meant for more than what you're doing. And in order to find a teacher or a, a mentor, you need to be able to find them through the almighty power of the internet. And because keywords are so important on the internet, uh, I do believe that calling yourself a shamanic practitioner or a shaman is not necessarily a bad thing. As long as you do it with, you know, the reverence for what that title means. 
and you have to have the training and the ability to connect with those helping spirits and the other worlds. You can't just pick up a book on shamanic journeying and call yourself a shaman or a shamanic practitioner. You have to have some level of training, either training that is given to you through life's trials and tribulations um, or training through sitting with a teacher and learning the skills that it takes to practice shamanic practices. Um, and I'm just going to touch super duper briefly about this. I think the concept of charging $10,000 for shamanic training is absolutely ludicrous. I believe in my soul that there are people who can benefit from learning these practices that don't have that amount of money in their, their checkbook or their savings account or even available as credit to them. And the idea that as soon as you hang your shingle up as a shaman or a shamanic practitioner or an energy healer that you are going to make that money back is even more ludicrous. Um, and I believe that it's just flat out lying and manipulation. I'm not naming names. Perhaps you might know who I'm talking about when I'm talking about this. But I believe that specifically if you go to a a shaman and you are you know a part of a tribe and you wish to learn you have to have something to pay them with now that doesn't necessarily have to be money it could be you know if you're actually in a tribe you know within a, a culture that has that it could be perhaps a livestock it could be um time and energy there has to be some kind of energy exchange and i guess perhaps these teachers believe that money is the only way that we fully exchange energy i believe that that to be not only false but inaccurate um there are many different things that we have skills that people have that could provide uh useful for a teacher for example me in particular, I am very good at creating websites and maintaining websites and designing things like that. I could offer that as a service, you know, for my entire apprenticeship, I could for free work on their website or post on social media or something of that nature. Or there's other things that people can do, you know, and perhaps some, someone's a good painter they could paint or, you know, create art or something like that. There's many different ways in which we can do that energy exchange that doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars um, for training. And I, I love that people need to pay the bills. I get that as a single mother who works full time and has a business on the side, I get that, that we need to be able to pay the bills and we should be getting paid for our knowledge and our skills. But also at the same time, it has to be um, available to everybody, not just a select few. So definitely there are, you know, you can't just read a book or take a weekend workshop and call yourself a shamanic practitioner. You need to be trained. And I did talk about, you know, finding a teacher in everyday waking reality is, is important. But there is another way to learn. 
As I said, some people are really naturally able to traverse the worlds on their own, either through the ability just to, to do journey without being taught how to do journey, um, but also through dream time. So helping spirits, in my personal opinion, will always trump physical teachers um, because helping spirits... They really are our truest teachers. And I haven't taken a shamanic course yet that hasn't had us go on some sort of shamanic journey or some sort of quest out in nature to meet with helping spirits to learn skills. Now, I have taken shamanic courses which teach skills um, that are beyond... Uh, what you would learn in a shamanic journey. And that's why I believe it's important to have a mixture of not only in-person teachers, but also helping spirits. So I hope that this has answered some questions on how to become a shaman and sort of given you a different perspective on shamanism in general. In the next episode, we are going to talk about the shamanic journey. We are actually going to go on a shamanic journey where you can meet with a helping spirit. So I look forward to the next time we meet where we will learn all about the shamanic journey, the different worlds and what they offer us within the energetic world system. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me and you can do that by visiting my website. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Mystics Path podcast. For more information about this podcast and your host, Katie McBrien, please visit me on the web at www.katiemcbrien.com.